Take three. <laughs> All right. So today we're recording first episode of the Cheerful Sound Man podcast. That would be me, the Cheerful Sound Man, Eric Linus Bunt, Bunt Backline Event <clears throat> Services. Uh, we have some guests today. We have James Tucker of Neato Design. Say what's up, James. Hello, everybody. And we have Jason. What's Fuller. your last name? Jason Fuller. Fuller. There you go. Where are you, are you from? From Jacksonville, Florida, Christchurch. Working over there and doing some freelance with uh, Neato Design here. So. And then at the end, we got a BJ <gasps> Courtney. BJ Courtney here. <laughs> that's, and, a, that's a cool uh, name. That's way cooler. This is his studio, this lovely spot here called The Juniverse. Welcome to The Juniverse. Yes. Here we are today. We're going to be recording. Um, this is a new series we're starting, uh, basically to go over uh, production adventures, uh, some of the adventures, excitement, and uh, challenges, pitfalls, etc., of um, being a production company or production professional. Um, so some of the background to this is uh, the w- reason we're starting this is we're looking to, uh, I'm looking to start a podcast to share some information uh, and bring value to other production professionals uh, in the industry, either looking to get into the industry, looking to expand um, what they do in the industry, and also to uh, help us all relate to the people who hire us, whether it's event planners, uh, producers, production managers, and so forth. So I think this will also hopefully bring a lot of value to that group of people as well. So both the tech side and the folks putting on events. Um, the clients. The clients, yes. That's what we call them in the business. <laughs> yep. um, so that's the general why we're starting this. So we're hoping to do this pretty regularly regularly, and uh, get that going. And um, the... Uh, question I was getting uh, this week and last week before uh, as I was telling people I was doing this was uh, not why are we doing it or anything like that it was why the name so where did we come up with where did I come up with cheerful sound man and that's actually as simple as it sounds Uh, if you ever heard of the uh, there's a great video out of the grumpy sound man uh, (laughs) basically sound guy who's kind of actually probably unfortunately what a lot of us picture when we think of a sound guy or an audio engineer He's a grumpy dude with a ponytail <laughs> yeah. who's uh, knocking things over or cussing under his breath or grumpy because somebody asked him for another microphone or still, whatever the case was. Still drunk from the night before. You know, that that as well sometimes. <laughs> Needing a smoke break by this point in the podcast. Need to, need to leave. Just can't handle it anymore. Um, so kind of jokingly one day I said, well, I'm the cheerful sound man because I'm trying to be and feel like in most part am the opposite of that stereotype and uh try to be cheerful and enjoy my work and uh in general i kind of believe that if you're not enjoying what you're doing then you should find something else to do because there's a million things to do and while our lives are fairly long they're relatively speaking not that long so you should do something with your days that you enjoy and and are good at and find value in so uh, that's why i jokingly dubbed myself the cheerful sound man my email accidentally says that. I don't even know how that happened, but my <laughs> Gmail name is Cheerful Sound Man. I'm pretty sure I never changed that, but that's what it is now. Um, so that's where that came from. Um, so when I go, we'll talk a little bit, mostly about me and James right now, because uh, I'm hoping James will be a regular guest on here when he's down in Gainesville. Um, 
<clears throat> Hopefully. Uh, and so I want to get into a little bit of uh, who I am, who James is, and we'll tell our story a little bit. But uh, to keep it brief, I own Buntback Line Event Services here in Gainesville, Florida. We're kind of a small to mid-sized production company, lighting, sound, staging, video walls, all sorts of stuff. Uh, a lot of basic concerts, things like that around town. And uh, we, we got our start just doing backline, which is why we're called Bunt Backline. And uh, as we started out doing backline, um, it actually just kind of naturally snowballed. People were asking us for more and more things. Killing the swaths. <laughs> uh, people were asking us for more and more things, so we, uh, we started expanding out. So I, I'm, an also, I'm also an engineer, uh, audio engineer by uh, experience before that. So I was getting asked more and more to do sound, and so that kind of organically and naturally grew. And uh, that we started in 2005 as kind of a garage side business deal and uh, moved into about a 1,000-square-foot warehouse a few years later and then a couple thousand more actually right across the street from this studio. We were in one of these little warehouses here. And uh, then the last three years ago, we moved to our current facility, which is about 7,000 square feet, and uh, in general... I feel like a pretty decent warehouse and pretty decent amount of gear and all those things. And uh, we've scaled quite a bit. And a lot of it's uh, it's all been really just organically just growing and getting bigger gigs. So we get a little more stuff and then a little more stuff. We get a little bigger gig and so forth. Uh, so that's kind of where my background is. Uh, James, what about you? I started in the church. Um, I do a lot of church work. I, jokingly, everyone knows me as a church guy, but that's kind of what kind of been my bread and butter I grew up every time the door was open at the doors were open the church going to church and started doing sound and working my way up to doing some lighting in high school and then tr- literally starting a ministry it turned into a small business out of high school where I literally made stage lights out of coffee cans and nice. weirdly enough people would pay me to bring these coffee can lights to their churches and do these katados Jesus on the cross put the red flow light bulb in there and that and that grew into me owning park hands. I wanted sound, but sound, I couldn't literally, I literally could not make a sound system by hand with little coffee cans. So, so we stuck with sound, oh, sorry, stuck with lighting and uh, found myself working at a Christian venue in Jacksonville called the Murray Hill Theater and <clears throat> ended up working at a church full time as an LD and projectionist and eventually scenic designer and side hustling quite a bit on top of that because nobody in the church production field is rolling in it unless I just don't know about or I just don't sell myself enough when I was a church guy but uh, so side hustled starting a, a, a little lighting company on the side and and then uh, just trying to make money with the lighting system that I had and then growing into selling all the lighting equipment and now people just I just walk in with a toolbox and I fix things or I run the guest console or, or something of that nature and it just turned into what I do now which is neato design which is just uh, mostly church work, but like we, uh, a lot of stage design, video uh, streaming systems, and and new installs are used in or small installs, whatever. We, our average customers well under a thousand seats in our auditorium, and that's a different price range for a lot of the the bigger houses doing what I do, and I love it to death. I love the small churches, and but yeah, so we've been doing that strong for two years, just like just jamming, just doing mostly small church stuff, directing video on the side, and and doing as much LD work on the side as I can. Yeah. So I think that's where I met you was uh, as a somebody referred you to me as a as a lighting designer and used you freelance for a couple things, yeah. I think. And then uh, 
and then you video directed for me a bunch <laughs> as well. And we've yeah. done a couple conferences, a couple different things. It was very fun. Um, and then I definitely I hold you in very high esteem for your work, you know, with the church and you uh, you do a lot of really cool designs with the LED tape and some different <laughs> interesting stuff. And so I always That's enjoy keeping up with you there. Yeah, you're my niche there. <laughs> yep. And uh, Jason, what about you? Well, um, a pretty similar hi- history, just like. I uh, was 15 years old, went to church for the first time, and found out that there was this thing called uh, tech and, you know, the sound and lighting and stuff and the youth, and they had to set it up every week. Um, so I got in with that, and I was like, oh, this looks really cool because I always liked, you know, the home stereo and all the technology <laughs> at home and stuff like that, and the VCR, I could tune it really well, um, get all the tape master. out, the tracking thing, totally got that down. So I just, uh, I, I worked with this guy for a while and then one day he just like up and left and it was just me to do all the youth sound and lighting and video. And like at the time they had one of those little like weird controllers you just plugged into the wall for the lights. But So I, and no one had really ever messed with it. It just kind of like turned it on, it was on. And then um, I guess that's where I found my passion in lighting a lot. And I, I was really good with audio, I'd make a lot of audio, but um, I was the first one to come in and like switch all the lights out and like put them in colors and like in groups and mm. do it all the right way. No, I had no idea. No one ever showed me anything, but for some reason, my mind it just made sense. If there was two red, if there's red here, red here, green, green, blue, and just changed it all, fixed it. And I interned there for a while at the Baptist Church, um, where everybody starts, and it got to start at a Baptist Church. You have to start at a Baptist Church. Um, no way to do it. <clears throat> and I didn't just know from, that was the uh, the only <laughs> path, but in the Jacksonville, you had to if you're a church. Yeah, yeah, that makes at, sense. Yeah. At, at that church, they launched a portable campus, and I helped with that and got in the internship program. This guy came along. And then uh, after some bad things happened there and everything kind of crumbled a little for me um, and I had a big wake up call, I went and found him at, a, at another gig. I found him again. I was like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? Can I come hang out with you at your church? And he's like, yeah, man, come hang out at New Life. And so we hung out at New Life. And, and then I moved to Orlando and did a bunch of production for PSAV and stuff like that. So I just I've been all over the place and now I'm back in Jacksonville working at Christ Church and uh, helping this guy as much as I can side hustling with him you know so yeah and you guys are down here today doing some work over at a live church there yep. hanging some tvs and doing yeah. some set design and and then we're at a greenhouse this afternoon training on their lighting console and hitting some tv lights with a hammer a couple times but yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough and so yeah jason started i was uh well uh, set up and strike at a portable church and then at new life i um it's a long story short but like i uh i was my first full-time church job and I had all these expectations. I always want to work full time for a church, yeah. and um, I found more—not uh, to sound obnoxious—but I, when I started uh, finding people like Jason and a few other guys and developing a quasi internship program, I definitely found a new uh, purpose in being there. Not just like ma- maintaining the old moving lights and programming the services and making sure the youth PA didn't blow up. So. At peak, I think we had five or six interns, and yeah. I think they all turned out pretty good. No one is, uh, everyone's doing something, almost everyone's doing something production related, which is really cool because yeah. I, yeah. a couple of them are sound guys, and I have no idea how they got that because that wasn't from me. But um, <laughs> the uh, but yeah, Jason is a full time at uh, Christ Church, and one other guy works for a, a NEP, a giant video company, and other. I mean, just everyone's is everyone that came out of that program that's not a program um doing pretty okay and yeah. so so it seems it's interesting because uh both you guys kind of your stories like growing up and just kind of starting to tinker with stuff and and kind of make it happen and, and it was like and somebody gave you the opportunity then to right. to do it um actually similarly that's that's kind of how i started playing in bands in high school 
And uh, basically, we never had PAs. Like, no one ever had a PA. And so I actually found this, uh, we used to call it ghetto music, and it was like this pawn shop in St. Augustine where they actually had a bush light machine in the back, which I'm positive is illegal, but they had like an old Pepsi machine that they had turned into a bush light machine. And uh, they also let teenagers use the bush light machine. So anyway, they at least switched out and had a bush light like symbol on the front or something. Well, they had them, uh, they had inserted little like from the 12 pack, you know, the card into the, into the the clear slot. I'm not kidding. Or it's like, or you would also trade anything for music gear. Like I went in there, I had literally like a $3 Swiss army knife and I don't know, like a, a bucket of some random shit. And they'd be like, yeah, I'll give you $3 for that. You're like, okay, cool. And uh, <laughs> so they would actually take your stuff off your hands for you. And they had shag carpet through the whole place. And these guys just chain smoked all day, both <laughs> cigarettes and weed. And so there's just like, the floor is just this shag carpet that's all burned out. Anyway, I got great stories about ghetto music, but they actually, they let me as a 15, 16 year old kid basically finance a PA because I'm sure they got it for free from somebody. So they were like, yeah, you know, $200. And I got two little like absolute garbage speakers and a little amp all barely worked. I had this little, uh, not little, it was an eight channel PV mixer that was gigantic and, uh, had, uh, a mono main out and an aux on it. Yes. And I thought it's fancy with that aux. You Did it have a springer verb? Different <laughs> sense, you know? If it had the springer verb, you, you know. What do you yeah. do with an aux? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's for expansion later, you know. It's an auxiliary, extra options. But uh, So I actually started with that for a couple hundred bucks, of which I only gave them like a Swiss Army knife, a bucket of random crap, and $50 or something. And uh, they let me come make payments on it. And uh, that was my first PA, and we used that for the – crappy you know beach punk rock bands we were in and so i just kind of kept like expanding that and buying a little more and uh i would do layaway at the actual music store as well (laughs) and get stuff and like so i i don't know i kind of always have since i was a kid have had a entrepreneurial mind so i was always just gonna like i never counted on it just happening like i was gonna figure out ways to do it i made about 20 bucks a day selling bubble gum in middle school on the bus (laughs) Was, uh, nice. I, that's a story I just recently remembered, but I used to hustle some bubble yum, bubble gum pretty hard on the yeah. on the back of the school bus in middle school. I did and, the same uh, thing with Jolly Ranchers and uh, the, the lollipops. It's yeah. just on my back. I'm like, what's a dolly? <laughs> yeah, I finally, my mom kind of, I thought she was busting me one day when I was about that age. And uh, she's like, why do you keep having me buy so much bubble gum when mm. I go to Sam's Club or whatever? And, and so I, I figured it was better to come clean. And I was like, I'm selling it. And she was... She gave me like a proud moment type of thing. Like, <laughs> so anyway, um, so kind of combined with that, with my interest in music, which is really what got me into audio engineering. And it was also just that, again, no one was doing it. And it seemed like the guys occasionally when there was actually a sound person at one of the venue we play, it was the grumpy sound man. <laughs> and they were usually also drunk and not actually really doing sound. They were just kind of there to drink, I think. Yeah. And uh so I just kind of kept doing that. And actually, tab, um, so. actually, this was in St. Augustine when I was a teenager. But then the, when it first clicked that I could actually like do it as a living was uh, Pat Lavery, who's shout out to Pat, who's the owner of High Dive, which is a club here oh, in Gainesville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he does Glory Days <clears throat> Presents. We actually, it's funny, we still do, like now we do actually pretty good size shows with him. Uh, we did Descendants last year and uh, Soja and a bunch of like good size concerts, which is fun. Uh, but we started out doing friend uh doing sound for my buddy Loyal's band who would play in St. Augustine and they'd come over and Pat was managing them 
and he would pay me, I think it was $30 to bring my, my sure vocal master <laughs> speakers yeah. and my eight channel PV mixer and a couple SM58s, basically just a vocal PA in this tiny little uh, coffee shop venue we played. And, uh, and I also owned the van. So the band, <laughs> so we would get the band's money and I would take a cut of the band's money because I was transporting all the equipment and I owned most of it. And then, uh, I was taking the cut for the PA and I was like, wait a second, there's, there might be some money in this. At the time I thought it was high rolling with that $30. <laughs> I was, I was living large, man. I was buying Newcastle premium beer, you know, living it up. Um, but so for me too, it was like the, just kind of the combination of opportunity and interest when I was younger. And uh, I think that's cool because I have three little kids. I have three little boys, and uh, you know, I, it's it's kind of informed like how I want to hopefully uh, expose them to things like as they're interested, and let them give them opportunities to play with stuff and and explore. And you know, whether it's in this industry or not, it doesn't matter to me. But as much as it does, um, I, I found a lot of you know fulfillment and pleasure out of just being able to to experiment and fail and screw stuff up. And I've set more than a handful of speakers on fire <laughs> over the years. Uh, fairly recently an arena show definitely set some front fills on fire, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of that. Um, if you don't. So that's, that's kind of where we're coming from. BJ, you want to tell us a little bit about you? I think sure, I'm going to guess BJ is going to be a regular since uh, this is his studio. So tiny chair studios. So I'm, I'm not like these guys. Should I get in the camera? That's up to you. Might not matter, huh? Go ahead. Yeah, so, um, but I would probably say I'm the runt of the litter here. Um, and I have a similar story. I'm mainly a, you know, music guy, producer, uh, instrumentalist. And it was the same situation. Started out in church. Uh, my father's a pastor and uh, come from a long line of, musicians that do all these amazing things and so it just kind of came natural I was in church all day every day so i was around the instruments naturally took to the drums organs were laying around i'm like this is the weirdest little machine ever so <laughs> i kind of took to that and synthesizers and i guess everything in my church growing up was not the best so I, it became a habit to just kind of pop things open and see what was inside because it wasn't working or something weird was going on. I didn't have any money or a hobby uh, early on in middle school, sixth and seventh grade, where I was making money. So it was just kind of like, uh, let's pop this thing open and see what's on the inside. I mean, I want to be able to hear it. And that kind of became the norm for me. I finally... Um, Got through high school, and once getting through high school, I kind of took music a little more seriously. After my height and my weight did not support my sports dreams. Uh, Same here. <laughs> you guys can't see me, but I'm like 5'6", was like 135 pounds Same. at that time. Yeah. So, you still are, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Hey, come on, James. Don't let Eric know. He's, he's been working out. Don't let him. He's, he's feeling himself right now. Um <laughs> But, you know, it became music because it was the thing that came naturally to me. And then um, my mom had this habit of buying these old desktop computers that were, <laughs> I don't even know what they were, but they were running Windows. And uh, she's not a computer whiz, but she just had, you know, this knack for it. 
she had a relationship with this uh, Indian guy. I can't remember his name, but you might know him because you're from here. I mean, he used to be around town all the time. There's a smiley face shop on University Avenue, uh, right past Fifth Ave. I have no idea what you're talking about. On 13th Street. (laughs) On 13th Street, right? And he used to have this computer shop there. She used to go in there like every week because every computer she got would just break. But, you know, being a good mom, she would try and get us computers or whatever. So I ended up with this desktop and it actually worked for about two years. It was shocking to me, but it worked for about two years. And that's kind of how I got into recording. I had an old Yamaha keyboard that had four tracks on it. And, um, I used to line out from that into the line end of the desktop, and I bought this old program. I was telling one of that, one of our other guys at the shop, uh, bumped back line the other day about it. It was uh, Matthew. Mm-hmm. I was telling Matthew that um, I had bought this old. Uh, it was called Magic Studio, the first recording program I bought yeah. out of a uh, Best Buy, <laughs> and uh, still to this day with. All the fancy stuff I use, I probably still wish I could get my hands on it because it had this processing in it where you could slow down the uh, audio track or you could record something uh, slow. And the time stretching on it had no artifacts. It was crazy. Like, it was flawless. You would speed it up or let's say you did a riff or a line really, really slow that you couldn't do fast and it would sound perfect. But I couldn't find it. So that's like the equivalent of the guys trying <laughs> to find that like old analog piece of gear from 1972. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's got right. the yeah, digital, exact right sound. In digital like, form. Yeah. Computer love. You know, You're trying to find a computer that computer. runs Windows oh, 3.1 man. over there. <laughs> 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 man, it's a piece of shareware. I have eight out of ten of the discs for it. <laughs> so, you know, it just kind of became, it kind of became my thing uh, along with being the music guy. I guess that's good that I'm actually able to sit in because... You know, I'm mainly a musician slash producer, and now the engineering is kind of taking its form. I really enjoy it. It's always been a passion. Um, but I guess from another perspective, questions and concerns and some things, maybe my viewpoint comes from a different wavelength up in here somewhere. But um, that's kind of that's kind of my intro to this whole world of music, technology, and um, yeah, that's that's just pretty much the short version. I know you guys don't want me to ramble because it's well, not the. See, I like so I met BJ. I I think you were probably playing in one of the gospel <coughs> choirs or one of the bands. Yeah. Is how mm-hmm. I met BJ on the other side of things. Right. So that's been interesting too because uh, most of our relationship has been me as an engineer and you <laughs> as a musician. Right. And this current day we're flipped, but. Uh, You've also then been kind enough to come work for us, doing sound for us at Bun Packline Bun recently, Backline. and it's been it's been fun. It has so, been fun, and I've been enjoying watching you try to translate the oh, skills yeah. to the other side of the desk, which is always the skills definitely translate, but mm-hmm. it's definitely always interesting how you have to shift mindsets oh, either yeah. from performing or even from studio work, shifting yeah. this mindsets controlled to the environment into the wide world yeah. of. Live sound, it's very, very interesting. That's what I tell people wild. all the time. There's a whole big difference between studio mixing and live mixing. And yeah. I get these guys like, oh, yeah, I know how to, st- I don't know mix and stuff. And I'm like, am I cool? And then again, then the live environment, I'm like, that's not going to work this here. This is nothing <laughs> like my bedroom with the USB you don't have microphone. Eight, you don't have that long of time to EQ this, so you could just got to run. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I know what But like for me, it's funny because the biggest thing, the mental aspect of it is 
like the most intriguing part right. to me is not actually the technical part because mm -hmm. in the studio, in order to be successful, you got to know how to, you know, find the best in a person, kind of right. be a coach, <laughs> you know, hey, you can do this, you can, because once the confidence is gone, then the performance is dead. And right. then in the live world, it's like everything is just chaotic. Right. From the beginning, <laughs> right. and you got to learn how to get yourself together mm -hmm. yeah. so you can be able to identify what's happening and solve the problem. A lot of times, a lot of shows, if you're dealing with like older clients, it's not really about the best sound. It's like just make sure you don't have feedback or you know the subs aren't kicking us through the chest because we're 70 years old. So <laughs> I like well, that. It's funny you bring that up because, yeah, we do uh, oh, yeah. quite a bit of work in the retirement communities of Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, we do. Uh, we get quite a bit of oldies acts, which uh, are always a challenge because the musicians a lot of times are actually deaf themselves. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times the audience is as well. But they're also very sensitive to loud volumes, so nobody can hear, but they want it louder, but then it's too loud. And so <laughs> it's interesting. I think it's actually made me an infinitely better engineer because you have to, you really have to, you can't hide anything in volume. You can't hide anything in subwoofer. You can't, you know, there is no hiding. You have to really, yeah. you know, try to, you're, you're trying to serve your audience in that case. And in that case, you know, in the old, case of the oldies acts, most of them want to hear the vocals and the songs that they fell in love to with the right. person that's sitting next to them, which in a lot of ways is similar to the church world. Um, but, you know, you have to really identify what your audience is looking for and then hone in on that and then also try to make it as uh, unabrasive as possible because yeah. a, lot of, a lot of times there's some sensitivities there that may not be there if your audience is a little younger and wants to rock a little more. You know? yeah. So. yeah, you're a fun challenge. Yeah, that's that's the same thing as like I've mixed in churches mainly and like and I've worked mixed in like rock venues and I've mixed in like a corporate environment. So like everywhere you go is like a different type of mixing. So like all these different types of mixing, even at different churches, it's like, oh, we like it like this. We like it loud here, but quiet mm -hmm. here. We like it really. No, no, you just all they care. Some churches like my church, it just cares about 90 dB. Just just keep it right there and everybody's happy and you know so it's <laughs> so it's like it, it is really funny when you go to these different environments because now you got to figure out what what they're looking for and what how are you going to mix so that you know there's a just so many i always tell people like audio is so um not is so what was i gonna say so like uh not one-sided it's not like an opinion it's, it's subjective you can't just be like Oh, that sounds good because some what sounds good to me may not sound to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that I explain to people like it's not loud where it maybe just sound bad or the frequency is so high pitched, and, mm -hmm. and so not always is it loud. It's just something that doesn't sound good. And since you can't rep, can't determine what it is, you just say it's loud. So there's mm -hmm. a whole big and difference. that's a lot of that working with the older population, <clears throat> right. especially a lot of that is trying to, yeah, right. and trying to determine and you know, and I try to determine. There's always the one grumpy person who just comes and yells something random at you. <laughs> And, but by the like, I try to I try to still value that and take that because obviously that person's experiencing something. Right. Whether you know whether I agree with it or not, it's another story. But <laughs> if I'm serving, you know, so for instance, one of our main venues is 800, 850 seats there in Ocala, and most of the time we never hear anything. We get thumbs up. It's great. There are occasions where we get folks that are not happy and. If it's one person, I take it with a grain of salt. By the time two or three people say yeah. something or get they get back to me, I start to really 
reevaluate, even if I think it sounds good or I think I know what the problem is or whatever else, I try to then reevaluate and, and, you know, approach it because obviously there's something there for them. And honestly, if they don't pay that $30 for the seat, then none of us get to actually do that yeah. show. So, exactly. you know, whether exactly. I agree with it or not, whether I think they're just grumpy or deaf or whatever else, it really doesn't, uh, that doesn't really matter at all because their yeah. opinion does actually count. And that's yeah. kind of, again, going with the grumpy sound man versus <clears throat> cheerful right. sound man. Because trust me, my first response is usually like, you're an idiot. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the well, response. That what do you know? <laughs> in my brain or yeah. exactly like, you have no idea what I've been doing with all day. Their stage volume's out of control. Right. Yeah. I don't even have that guitar in the PA. Yes, yeah. I know it's loud. <laughs> I've done this one before. Yeah. The drums are out of the yeah. mix. <laughs> I am fully aware that the guitar player is blasting us all out of the building. Very, very true. However, um, but again, there's still, you know, it, it goes a long way. And honestly, it's for us kept us a lot of gigs where we have messed up or not right. done the best job or, you know, could have done better or circumstances, whether it was our fault or circumstances or, or whatever. And um, a lot of times we've, I've found that we get another at bat and, uh, because of attitude and because attitude and gratitude. And we're, we, you know, we recognize or try to recognize that, you know, we're only there because people are paying us to be there, right. you know? Um, and people are only going to pay us to be there if we're trying to serve them and work for them. Right. And, um, and so that's been a big takeaway over the last few years. And, um, and also in trying to coach the guys, cause we got about 10 guys on staff now. So yeah. it's trying to coach our team to have that same attitude and then, um, and a lot of times it's really hard to have that attitude when you're in the middle of a production war yeah. and, uh, you know, you're running back and forth and you got four different people yelling at you for four different things that are all going against <clears throat> each other. And the band wants this and the promoter wants this and mm-hmm. the house manager wants this. And, um, you know, all these things are kind of seem to be working against one another. Um, it's, uh, but remembering much like, uh, I would equate it to like a server in a restaurant or a bartender, they're dealing with all these different things, but at the end of the day, you don't go back to the restaurant if your server yelled at you or called you an idiot or said you <laughs> right. didn't know, well, you shouldn't have ordered that, you know, or whatever the case is. And it, it's funny because when I put it that way, people are always like, well, yeah, of course, but that's how so many people in the production industry act is, well, you shouldn't have ordered it that way, you right. know, or you shouldn't have done that, or you shouldn't have done that. It's like, or I told you not to do it this way. And, um, you know, none of that's really helpful in the moment. Right. And so that's, that's been a big, um, uh, honestly, that's been a big growth strategy for us is just continue yeah. to, to have that attitude and, and kind of, uh, doing the right thing kind of begets more work and, you know, and so forth. So it's, it gives us more opportunities just trying to do the right thing consistently. Um, so I did want to transition into, uh, <clears throat> in this first episode, which we've been rambling a bit, so it might be three episodes. <laughs> I want uh, to talk a little bit about uh, takeaways. It's it's 2019, it's January, so we're still getting to do the milk the new year a little longer here. Um, but I've been the last couple of weeks kind of reflecting on the last year, um, kind of wins, losses, things that went well, things that didn't, and then also um, kind of setting some professional goals, things I want to accomplish this year, um, actually both personally and professionally, but obviously we'll focus mostly on professional here today. Um, so James, did you have some things that, uh, I guess, what was your, your biggest win and loss from 2018 professionally? 
Um, well, the win is surviving. I mean, <laughs> honestly, no, the, uh, it sounds so silly, but when you have your own business and you're kind of by yourself, surviving the year is the biggest win. Um, I, you know, I tried to work as hard, uh, I was hard to work, work as smart as I could and, um, try not to work hard. I, I actually, the biggest one this year, honestly, we did a pile of fun installs and, um, I charged a bit more because I brought people in. And that sounds so silly, um, but I when I started out doing this, I wasn't bringing a lot of folks in, and so I worked a By little. By that you mean folks like Jason, Jason, to, uh, yeah, to assist you with the install, right, right, and, and the maintenance, or yeah. right. And so um, I had to work. I got to work a little less. I was a little less stressed out, so that was really nice. Um, not that, that I, I compared to like three years ago at this time, I'm way less stressed than I ever was. I think, and I think yeah. a lot of people can attest to that. I was a little, right. just a little bit less jaded, but. Um, uh, bringing the margin to bring more help in has been the big thing. Um, and so uh, that's gotten me home more on time. And personally, that's been a big win with the family because um, I am I am home more consistently in the evenings than I ever have. I mean, the Christmas, the biggest win was, you know, I didn't work all through Christmas, which was a nice thing. But, like, I was home by 6 p.m. Yeah. almost every workday, which is a really big deal because mm-hmm. – I remember a Christmas where I worked probably tw- 25 days straight almost mm-hmm. and was not home. And that was just a not fruitful Christmas. And, and it was really depressing, but so anyhow, um, yeah, giving, giving, giving myself more bandwidth on those invoices to like, no, I'm going to bring some friends in because a, I don't like doing work alone, like a bird, you know, bring out them two birds, the, um, so <laughs> or two horsies. Um, the, uh, no, you tend to be a lot more efficient when you're working with someone, um, yeah, it, both from an actual practical standpoint, but I think also from a, like, you know, you're accountable to somebody else. And then also, yeah, you're just generally in a better mood when you're working with someone else. You and, know? And it's worked out well because there's a, in my little industry, um, there's a lot of handholding, as it were, to when pastors or whoever's walk in the room, if there's a bishop involved, um, yeah. there's a... There's a, a bit of hand-holding, this is why we're doing this. No, that cable's not going to stay there. And I, and if I was by myself, I'd have to stop and address that person. So if, Yes, we're going to tape the cables. We're going to tape the cables, <laughs> and we are going to level the TVs. Um, the, yeah, Jason's able to work, and I'm, fresh. and I'm able to, uh, <laughs> I'm able to uh, have that FaceTime with a pastor. And, that's, it, and it for me, that's, what, that's yeah. what they remember is, all oh, James is a little bit more compassionate about that versus, I'm trying to tape these cables right now. Give me five minutes. Hi, Pastor. And so, uh, <laughs> and I've been helping kicking him in the pants, going, "No, you need need to bring people." And like when he brings me to the site, I'm like, "I'm gonna do the work. You just you smooth the client. You know, yeah. take care of them, mm-hmm. make sure they're happy." Because I have a face for job. smoothing. That's I've been told that quite a bit. <laughs> so good luck. This is an audio podcast. <laughs> quite a stumbling block I am. And so, so big win. And uh, yeah, I similarly, I've I've learned that lesson the last couple of years is to stop scheduling myself like for we do more production, you know, we do installs as well. But um, I never schedule myself for for install work anymore. I'll go get an install started because a lot of times I'll sell it. I'll do the initial measurements and specking of equipment and a lot of that stuff. Um, but for lots of reasons with the business, I don't. Uh, mine's in a little different place than yours, but similarly, um, with shows, for the most part, I've taken myself off of console operation. Like yeah. I, uh, unless I'm really specifically doing it, and usually, honestly, those are usually only uh, our symphony client that we do a lot of shows with, um, because there's not a lot of production management, handholding, that type of stuff going on. So it affords me the opportunity to really actually just be an artist and mix and just enjoy the art of mixing and mixing the band and listening to it. And I, there's not as much 
politics and you know and just taking care of people as well and so it it does make a huge difference to be able to um you know to spend the face time with the pastor and and take five to ten minutes to explain something or give the two options yeah and meanwhile yeah exactly stuff is still getting soldered and cables are getting run and everything else so as your big win what was uh uh what sucked for you this year <laughs> or like what do oh. you i mean it doesn't necessarily have to like go to a dark place here but you know what well, else? it's gonna go to a dark place i know james well enough get it's that. gonna go pretty dark here, you better but. get that pitch shifter plug in ready <laughs> the um the, the uh, black metal in the background lower the lights yeah, some sweetest so, black metal here so um i definitely uh every time i feel like i've panicked and had some scary moment scaries are wrong where i'm over uh making things sound overly dramatic were definitely times when I oversold my time and oversold my bandwidth, um, saying yes to too many things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, going to Gainesville and saying yes to three different things in one day, I learned this <laughs> too many things, but no, but like, um, I tried to saying he's got somewhere to be right now. No, 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 no. I love, don't worry, I love this. No, we're going to, we're going to go eat pizza after this. That's what's yeah, going to happen. Nice. We're going to go eat pizza. We're going to have some Satch Cola and get some Satch this whatever. This is the highlight of the day. This is the highlight of the day. That's what we're looking forward to all day. And so, no, and everyone, <laughs> I always want to be on a podcast. This uh, podcast sponsored by Satchel's Pizza. It's uh, <laughs> 23rd Avenue. Bring cash. Not a sponsor. <laughs> they will not split your check. Bring cash. They will not split your check. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, anyhow, so, um, the, uh, but I, you know, I was trying to, trying to, uh, but it could be. Could be a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be uh, super entrepreneur and try to do like two install, schedule two installs in one week, and or that, and and on top of that, saying yes to too many people um, calling me last minute for a my lights don't work kind of things, mm-hmm. and um, then when I didn't put the lights in, just you know, the um, <laughs> saying yes to too many things, trying to please everybody. A, a lot of my stress comes to do with not trying to please everybody and not mm-hmm. just being honest, being like, hey man, I got fourteen things. I'll send you this guy. That's all I can do right now because it is eight o'clock at night and you're, you need help in eight o five, and I can't do that. And so, so all my so uh, biggest takeaway is um, slow down and say no. It'd be it's okay to say no. And I, I like to say I have a pretty good relationship with the clients that I'm very very thankful for. My clients that if you are listening, very thankful for you. <laughs> my mortgage payment is very thankful for you. My family is very thankful for you. But no, um, uh, is is uh, sorry. Um, the cool thing is, I've even the times I've said no, I'm like, stand by. Can you give me three weeks? Can you, you know, or this is mm. this is Easter. You're asking about a project for six months from now. Um, I've still retained those clients, and um, mm-hmm. and I've definitely put myself almost in danger of losing folks by like setting a date and like uh, and coming down to it. And some install went school, you know, went sideways, and we had to fix that. And uh, mm-hmm. and so no, but uh, so yes, so, so definitely saying no has been my best takeaway of 2018. Um, that was supposed to be your worst one, but it's uh, it came from worst. So. Yeah, <laughs> your worst turned into your best. That was yeah. actually a good turnaround. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. that was very good work. Presentation. Um, and and actually, it's interesting because I've struggled, and maybe that's I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with going into business for yourself or what have you. But I've struggled with kind of the same thing of both wanting to please folks really badly, and that's been a lifelong thing. Like I've always been over backwards to do things that I really like have no business trying to <laughs> attempt to do, and I really like playing the hero on things. Right. Yeah, no, no. So people call me last minute, and I'm like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And, I tell you, those, those, you know, you know, I got you covered. Yeah. And, I, and I could definitely tell I was a takeaway from working at a church for three years, never saying no, and getting those attaboys. Oh, I can't believe you, the lemons, the lemonade thing that you made happen. Oh, man. 
all I had to do was not go home for three weeks, and I made this work. <laughs> yeah, and, except for my wife wants to leave. Me. Yes, yeah. and Other so than that you know, um, that's not important. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. not important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get addicted to that little endorphins that get released when someone says "great job." I still love it. I mean, yeah. we did one together in Jacksonville <laughs> right before Christmas that yes. fell apart at one venue. They called me, and we had a show. Pretty large show put together for them. How how long was that, BJ? It was uh, yeah. less than less than eight hours later. We had you know two trucks packed and a whole yeah. load of gear. James came over and programmed for us last minute. It was fun. So you know stuff like that. So uh, that happened to work out because that was the first down weekend we had in like two months, and wow. we had been we had been absolutely <clears throat> full throttle for months literally drinking a lot of full throttle it was a very couple months and uh this podcast sponsored by full throttle <laughs> uh, i wish got a lot of sponsors uh, for yeah man it's going well <laughs> so uh yeah we had been wide open and then it, it happened to work out and it was a good little it was also a good little bump and good pay um but then i've had other ones uh where i've i've done that and it just it, we were way overextended and it just ended up going sideways, and then we ended up making almost no money or losing money yeah. because we tried so hard to make something happen, yeah. and it would have been better for the relationship with the person as well as the business and the outcome for the client. Everybody would have been better off if we just said, sorry, I can't do that. And uh, yeah. I've just gotten good at that. Now, that also comes with um, having a wider client base, more diverse income stream, so we have a lot of different shows a lot of different things so if i do if a client does get upset with me about that or i can't come through for them and they find somebody else and they fall in love with them and want to do all their shows with them that's totally fine we're not going to go out of business because of that and i i think for a while i both feared that and it might have been realistic for a while as we were coming up like there might have been something to that if we would have dropped a couple of those key clients that it would have been difficult to maintain and sustain and grow um, yeah. yeah, so there is some that comes with the security of that. Um, so for me, it's also finding the balance of, of still saying yes and still being the hero when I can, but then also putting a limit on it and saying, you know, uh, no, that's not reasonable or, hey, I'm no, I've already committed to something with my family. So I'm actually going to do that rather than dropping everything and coming and doing this. So I don't think it always has to do with just like owning your own company because as a as someone who's with full-time with the church and has been through the freelance gig and stuff like that freelancing you know and it's the same thing i think it's just the mindset we get in this industry is like if you say no you'll never get another call you won't hear from that person again you know if you turn down the call or whatever so it's like it's that constant need to not it's not even like a money driven thing after a while Mm -hmm. it's just like a people pleasing and want to keep your clients and when you need work you want to have work so if you say no too much you don't have work and stuff like that and and being full-time at a church and then i have you know my family at home and i want but i want to do outside gigs one because i need a little bit extra cash but also i just really enjoy like hanging out with the, you know i've, I've got to a point because i'm full-time and all this stuff but at a point in my career where like i'm just choosing like i'm i'm just going to work for Nido design a guy like you know bump backline like all these places because I like these people and I want to work with them and I want to be with them and hang out with them. And, and it's not about a money thing. It's about, I just want to go. And so sometimes I, I have to like, Hey, I'm not going to do this gig cause I need to be home with my family, you know, but, mm-hmm. and it has like, like everybody here, it's hard to say no. Cause one money, duh. And two, um, fear of losing your clients, you know, but if you've gotten to a place, like you've said, if you've gotten to a place where you know who you are in the industry, people are going to come back. Even if they go to somewhere else, most of the time they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. And once you're secure with that and you go, okay, I'm not going to lose clients. People like working with me. It's not a, mm-hmm. 
it's not they could get a different they could get a different av provider and get another guy to come in and install stuff but at the end of the day you're doing it best you're you're being the cheerful guy they worked with a grumpy person you know and and james tucker's always jolly and he's a nice guy and, and stuff like that so when you come out it's the it's the it's the experience they're not paying for a provider to bring them gear they're providing they're asking for an experience and you're giving them a whole whole experience. Yeah, service again service, it goes back so. to the service and exactly you know so. you remember good service and you you remember really good service and you remember really bad service right. you typically all you forget all the in between yep. but you'll remember those two things you remember when somebody goes above and beyond for you exactly. and you remember when someone takes a dump all over you, those <laughs> you remember and uh, and I'll say to your point, you're from as a person who hires freelancers, right. not all the time, but definitely, you know, I call freelancers multiple times a month. You know, yeah. so it's not every show every day. We mostly right. have staff guys, but right. um, definitely multiple times a month. We're calling different guys <clears throat> to engineer or LD or uh, V1 or those type of things. And uh, and you're not actually wrong. Right. So typically by the third or fourth time in a row that a freelancer is like, sorry, man, can't yeah. do it. Uh, it's not that it's like, ah, he's terrible, screw him, I'm not calling him anymore. It's more just like I've moved on yeah. because every time I ask you, you're not available. Right. And it's um, and so I've actually worked hard to check myself on that and circle yeah. back. Um, right. I also really value, I've had a couple different freelancers over the years that um, I thought did it really well and have told me, hey, man, I'm just really slammed this month or right. this month and next month right. or – um, a guy, Jake, who used to freelance for us a lot, a really good engineer, said, man, we had another baby. I got my day my day gig. Yeah. I just, I'm just i taking a season off here, right. man. I'll let you know. Or, you know, hopefully there'll be a good opportunity coming up. Yeah. Um, you know, and I highly respect that, you right. know. And if he shoots me a message today and says, hey, man, I'm back in the game already. Give me work if you got it. I will yeah. absolutely give him a call. But, right. um, you know, it does get frustrating when you, when you ask somebody – yeah. You know, and they tell because a lot of times the flip side, too, is a lot of the freelancers will be like, hey, man, let me know when you got work. Let me know yeah. when you got work. Yeah. Let me know when you got work. <clears throat> and then I ask them four or five times and then yeah. it's like, you don't yeah. seem to want to work. Yeah. You know, so I always have to try to work out the schedule. Like, how can I make this work in? <laughs> yeah. So it's it can be conflicting, too. So right. you're not wrong. But I think being forthright with folks is right. is always a good mm-hmm. I mean, that's always a good approach in life regardless. Yeah. But being forthright and just saying, hey, I'm really slammed. Yeah. We're. My main gig's a church gig. I got Easter coming up in in a couple weeks, and we're, you know, we're going hammer here trying to get it all done. Exactly. Um, You know, I respect that highly, and we'll keep you in mind moving forward. I typically don't say no. I just like, hey, man, already booked. Pretty slam. Sorry about it. Get me on the next one. You know, make sure it's open. What's worked for me, too, um, because people have definitely called me for something weird that I can't offer, that I can't provide. You know, I had someone asking for uh, a for for sound for something and i'm just not and so i'm i i've done really good about saying no but providing an alternative oh i can't run your show i can't do lights for your show here is here's a list of three guys that i support that Mm -hmm. i would that are on brand with the how i do things i think you would like and um obviously you get to bless your friends that don't suck at their job they're going to be less likely to to try to steal your gig too Mm -hmm. and um you're going forth with the taking that five percent more effort of like yeah, James can't be here, but it, no, he gave me Jason, he gave me Isaiah, here's three other names, and they're all cool guys, and they're all not going to be horrible people, and they're not going to be, uh, and, you know, when time comes again, you know, maybe they'll recommend me back uh, to, to come come do a show, and so. Well, that brings up a good point, though, because some of it, I feel like a lot of times in our industry, and I think probably from the musician standpoint, too, people start 
uh, people operate out of fear a lot of times and they go, oh, if I give him this gig, then I'll never get it again. You know, that's the question I was going to ask you two guys, because I'm not on the level you guys are, but I kind of anticipate blowing this up into a bigger business. Right. Right. And I do deal with the musician side of things a lot. When you go through that process of, all right, I'm going to recommend somebody, is the mindset more so of the giving, not expecting to receive, or is it also, do you feel like it's also an opportunity to probably keep that client in the fold because even though you weren't the person doing the direct service, you still kind of provided the need for their services, and uh, are you provided your services for their need, and is that something you still kind of expect to kind of be... Uh, a fold of maybe work and opportunity for that client in the future? Or is the fear like something you kind of should? Because I think fear also can be a positive thing. I mean, we have that nature for a reason. It's not all a negative thing, but is that something that you consider to be more of a positive or a negative when you're going through that process? Well, if I'm understanding you correctly, so basically like either passing a client on to somebody else who can right. do it or you're double booked and you can't do it, those type of things. Right. And then the fear of like, okay, next time they're just going to call. Like I send them to BJ and next right. time they're just going to call BJ. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, I think that's a founded fear. Like uh-huh. it's a reasonable fear. Um, however, what I would, I would also argue that there's such an abundance where we live, not just geographically, but in America. We live in an amazing place right now with a booming economy. Um, there's such an abundance in general that, I mean, James and I, I guess theoretically could be competitors on some jobs because he does church work. We do some church installs. Um, we, we have some crossover, not a lot, but some crossover to what we do. Um, I have no fear. I've sent James to multiple places. I sent him to a Baptist church up by Jacksonville. Um, and that client is a really good client. And he called me back and said, Hey, I I know James doesn't work for you. I'd like to have him back out. How does that work? I think he may have called you. You said, call me. So it's a, a lot of that's about relationships. Um, that client very well could just call James and have him come out there and pay him his hundred bucks and program for an hour or two. And you know, that's, that's totally fine. Um, but I've done so much other stuff for that client that he calls me first. And so it's some of it's a two-way street. Not every client's like that. Not everyone is even thoughtful in the respect of, like, should I ask Eric before I call James directly? Right. So a lot of times it's unintentional, too. They're not trying to cut you out or, you know, anything like that. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't think it's a simple yes or no answer on it, but I believe that there's such an abundance. I'm not afraid to give work to people. I think going back to James's point that I'm kind of that I feel aligned with as far as I feel that they'll put the same care and effort and work into that client um, because it's I think in the total, if you net score it out, James is going to throw me back some work, too. You know what I mean? So even if he like, gets that client forever and ever and they fall in love and they love each other and he's their guy and he knows exactly what they want, you know, and cuts us out of it, even though we could do the same job. Right. right. Um that's I'm confident that it will happen the other way at some point too, or there's some other you know benefit that will come out of it. And I'm all about and we'll address it, but going back to filling in for your friends or recommend recommend if there's any freelancers listening to this, whoever's recommending <coughs> you for the job, excuse me, <coughs> you, you need to need to nicely fly their flag, and yeah. I, 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 that's yes, don't be a dirtbag. And yeah. I, so I yeah. 
and because uh, uh, a recommendation from me, not that I am the, the bee's knees, but I do come across a lot of work. And right. it's good to be on my good side. No, but the yes, um, yes. No, the, uh, no, no, no. Oh man, he's my gangster on this. No, you know, oh, I definitely freelance for folks, or I, I, I have thought this is kind of my wheelhouse more than more than than I could take steps, say things, give out cards, and ask about rates, and you know, it's just yeah, I, you Long do. Term, ha- it's not gonna do. You yeah, it's not gonna do me any good. It's gonna yeah. just damage a potential Isolate. great relationship and uh, over a a programming gig over a one day programming gig yeah. i could mess up a relationship with a, a provider or someone that sends you work that's just not what you want to do um and so yeah just fly the flag of whoever you're there with or whoever yeah. sent you and so yeah yeah you know it's gratitude I, for who I, got you the gig yeah, too. yeah. it's I, like I, if somebody sends you you know if some i mean it's who's follow the money they sent you there you wouldn't have had the gig without them right. the regardless of how you actually end up you know the relationship actually ends up or they love you so much they hire you full-time you know yeah. i've had yeah. that happen before yeah where <laughs> i've sent guys where you know somebody who was working for me that day eventually went to work at the place that we used to send them to yeah, yeah. i view that as a great thing yeah. right. i view that as hey they obviously were not going to keep hiring us forever and ever to come run their little shows right yeah. it's not financially feasible and now there's a win-win set up from my situation. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's also a small industry. It gets around fast if you're backstabbing people, yeah. you know. And yeah. it's not, again, it's oh, not yeah. a matter of, like, <laughs> taking work yeah. if you're not trying to take work. And I've had, I had a situation recently with a pretty big-sized festival that we were subbed in to do lighting and backline for with the sound provider last year. And uh, they... You know, they hired us in. We brought in a moving light rig, and we brought in a bunch of backline. They did sound and tents and stage and some other stuff. Um, well, I got contacted about the whole festival this year, and so you know, when the client contacted me, now I don't. They didn't contact us through that gig. Like no one was handing out cards or anything like that. They had just heard about us or whatever else. I they actually didn't even make the connection that we did lights on that gig, um, but they contacted us about it. And so I approached it as I treated him just like I didn't know who he was, basically. And, you know, we talked through it, um, talked through what they needed, what they were looking for. And then I called the guy who hired us last year. And I said, hey, man, what's going on with this? They're calling me for a quote. And not to get him riled up or anything. But what I found out was he had a falling out with the promoter over settlement or some tent you know, payments for some tents or something. It was really dumb and unfortunate, but bottom line is it was irreparable damage between them. And he said, Hey man, blessings, go for it. Get your own tent. Take the whole thing. And that that probably goes a long way. What you're saying, because it's a small community. Oh yeah. You don't want to come across, Oh, here, backstab me. Yeah. I have another client. uh, I have a a band client. He has a backstabbing store. I have a band client recently that I've worked with for years and years. And then, um, they hired one of our ex-employees to come do something, which I don't like, doesn't at face value, doesn't bother me. Um, but it bothers me that that client didn't call me because I know that he basically that client can no longer afford our rates. And I'm uh-huh. totally fine with that. I, that I have told, I have almost fired them basically. Um, but we have such a long standing relationship that for me, Again, doesn't bother me that they're working together. That little step of just calling me and being like, hey, man, this is what's going on. I really wish we could still work together. Right. Love you, man. Thanks for the years and years of bailing me out right. or giving me free stuff or all the various <laughs> things that I've right. done for them. 
And just that that quick little love, little shout out, we're moving yeah. on, would have meant a world of difference. And I'm not bitter, but I but I do remember it. So right. next time he asks me for a favor, yeah. it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? kind of saying the same thing. Like, now yeah. you're in the reverse of what I was asking because now you became the, all right, it would have been nice to have Ren this by me. Right. Your reference, maybe right. I'll look not that, and not that I'm the yeah. godfather of production and everything has to have my blessing, <laughs> but it's just like when you have such a relationship with someone, or they gave you, they provided you lots of work, or these different things. Just that phone call, just that respect of saying, "Hey, man, this is what's going on." And I'm not saying that applies to every situation, right. but those are just a couple of examples yeah. of yeah. of that playing out. Um, but overall, to answer the question you asked, is I don't I don't think you need to be in fear of you know, losing your gig if you send someone. I think it's all golden rule stuff, man. I think yeah. it's treat other people the way you would want to be treated. Right. Um, you know, if a client's trying to, you know, you're the you're the freelancer or the employee on a gig and they're trying to get you and they're trying to get you, you know, for you and, and the rest of the guys that are on our team, yeah. you know, w- what you all do and what I've asked <clears> you to do is, you know, you give the office number, you know, give the office a call. I'd love to work every gig you ever do. Give the office a call. You know, tell them you love me, you'd like to work with me again. And yeah. if I'm at all available, they'll put me on the schedule for your gig. By the way, that's what I do. They <laughs> yeah, I, any other. I would. Uh, hey, just, just call, call the shop. Yeah. Call yeah. The shop. I can speak from the, the other side of that where, like, James has either sent me and the, the client pays me directly or he sends me under the Nito banner. But either way, I'm like, they'll be like, oh, can you come back and program every week? And I'm like, call Nito Design, you know, and just report it back and. And they're like, yeah, but can I just get your number? I'm like, nope, you cannot have my number. <laughs> you can call Nito Design because I've just seen this guy get crapped on a few times <laughs> by some people, you know. And so, like, over just watching, hey, these people went in and did that thing where they stole clients from him and very intentionally and very underhandedly. And it, and it was probably half the client's fault anyways of just, like – Hey, those are typically not the best clients either. Yeah. So they right. are definitely culpable. Like it takes right. two to tango there. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know. but seeing that I never wanted to be the guy cause it, I've, I've benefited more by just, you know, being loyal to James and him. So he realizes that by keeping me out here and, and bringing trying to keep him off the streets. I'm like YMCA literally without James Tucker, I wouldn't be around. So <laughs> it's like uh, when people cheat in relationships, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> There were definitely two consenting <laughs> parties in that transaction, <laughs> and it's kind of the same with the clients, you know. Right. And and a lot of times, frankly, and again, this is now I'm speaking out of the luxury of having a wide, diverse base of clients and plenty of clients and income. Yeah. So I recognize that I'm blessed in that way, and I'm speaking from that. Uh, but a lot of times, that tells you pretty quickly that that's not a client you want to keep working. Yeah, with. and yeah. I could definitely tell all the times I've said yes out of yeah that's what i always tell you yeah every time i've said yes out of fear whether it's a a show or charging a rate uh that is just uh insulting to to my uh bookkeeper slash wife um (laughs) the um every time i've said yes to that oh my gosh the immediate regret five minutes later or walking into the venue and i was like this is was a horrible decision i have to really trust my gut when it says when it says no just say no you're not available or hey they're asking for too much that you can't do or they literally don't have the money you can't come out for 
$50 to bring a lighting system uh, for <laughs> a church where the bishop has a bishop and there's an elder involved. And a yeah, but if lady. you do it this time, yeah. we've got 14 more oh, yeah. yeah, 14 more. Oh, more. We're going to put your name in the bulletin. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, Is that, that's the church equivalent of we're going to put a banner up. We're going to put your name in the bulletin. We it's, get the, uh, we could put a banner on the stage. And I'm like, yeah, but the only people in the audience that would hire me is you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. giving you something for free yeah. so that we'll everybody you, uh, this doesn't. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's coming to this concert? It's like, I'm going to book that guy for yeah. my next concert. Hey, give me a JPEG. We'll put you in the slideshow. <laughs> uh, but uh, I definitely have I've said no to things and I've lost money or lost clients, but either they weren't worth keeping per se or they will come back. Yeah, yeah, timing's not right. A lot of times it's timing, man. Yeah, and it's, so, I've had a lot of clients where it just wasn't the right time, and eventually they came around. Yeah. In some cases, I, the other company I, went out of business or right. moved or whatever. Yeah, you know? your rights. Your longevity and your portfolio, you really cannot uh, debate that at all. Yeah. And, you know, someone can come in, and, you know, I'm, I'm one <clears> – <throat> You know, with what I do, I'm one 19-year-old uh, intern starting a company away from possibly losing everything. But I know, <laughs> but I know they're going to come yeah. back because the 19-year-old's yeah. not going to know how to do the funny, oddly specific things I know how to yeah. do and know how to talk to the people. Or solder. Or solder. No, nobody else knows how to solder. It is a very sad <laughs> world. Soldering's only done in, so, uh, in China. Yeah. <laughs> and so the – and, uh, you know, uh, and so – and sorry, uh, the – being able to provide something that not a lot of people know how to do. And right. for me, and I'm saying this not to sound horrible or whatever, but yeah. being able to work with really crummy equipment has gotten me further than knowing how to work on the nicest equipment. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, if you come, I, I, I come from, I would like to say the word humble, humble beginnings of just the <laughs> PB sound mixer with the Springer verb. And I believe you said you had coffee, cans coffee can lights. Coffee can lights. And, you know, I worked at churches where the lighting mm -hmm. wasn't amazing and, um, and we still had to make it TV friendly because that was a thing and had to work a 20 year old moving light. So because that was my standard, I didn't gawk when I went to a gig and yeah, the lighting wasn't nice or the venue wasn't nice. The sound, the lighting board wasn't nice. And, uh, felt at home. I felt very at home. <laughs> oh man, this place is too, can you turn the AC off? Yeah, this place is a dump. I love it. I love, I love it. it. <laughs> no, but, um, it's like my home, but because I, my, my oddly specific thing is I can do a, a lot with a little, Right. Not a lot of people know how to do that. And I, we talk, I joke about the funny 19 year old kid. He, you know, I, I work with great kids that have, have only interned at like giant, awesome, privileged churches where everything works. Yeah. Everything works. And I get them out of that environment and get them into another room. Here's a different soundboard. Here's a different lighting board. Yeah. yeah I don't know how to run that. I know how to run the one, I know how to run the one room I was trained on. <laughs> I know how to patch the yeah. one uh, lighting console. I'm like, yeah, you're I, not. Yeah, you need to be more useful than that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen James walk into a, a room that they were like, oh, we need new cameras. Our live stream is not looking great and stuff like that. And he goes, hold on, hold on. Let me just take all your stuff you have. You're a lot of good stuff here. You're just not using it correctly. <laughs> just and just like it... never buy a stick of thing except for like maybe some pipes and some pipes. DMX cables and stuff. Like infrastructure. Yeah, James has a this... heavy investment in the Schedule 40. And all of a sudden, now Carnegie. all of a sudden their stream looks amazing. Like how, how that happened? Our I cameras are still bad. Hit it with the, I, get the, I got the things your, your music director bought compulsively from Guitar Center and I made it look really nice. But anyways, but... Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, I could say no out of fear and I could lose the gig, yeah. but eventually, yeah. eventually they're gonna—I had said they're gonna come crawling back, but they will come back. 
because that's happened time and, and time again. Don't. And if they don't, it's fine. I there's plenty of work uh, presently, and um, and yeah. but yeah, and so. Um, also, kind of chime in. A lot of people who are out there stealing gigs and doing just in general doing <laughs> things the wrong way, they don't last. They no. don't. And it's no. that short term gain. They'll get a couple gigs. They'll snake a couple things from you. But sure enough, they're gone or they steal something from somebody, you know, because they generally and pay their taxes. Yeah. Don't pay their taxes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of different things. And because a lot of times that those type of behaviors translate, you know, again, it's kind of just integrity and honesty and those type of things. And they translate to other areas that will ultimately be your downfall. And if you look around, most of the people, most of the companies in our industry, most of the musicians that are now in their 60s and still making a good living at it. Most of these folks are, whether they're good people or not, they're doing things the right way, right. you know, right. as far as in business or <clears throat> attempting to. We all screw <laughs> up, but uh, most of the ones that last are for the most part because you got to be pretty dang big to be an island in our industry. You got to be pretty dang big because you will need gear that you don't have or some new console or in the backline industry some keyboard from 1987 mm. <laughs> yeah nothing only new. one company <laughs> in the entire southeast <laughs> and then they go oh yeah yeah oh you cut didn't get our ones. updated rider we don't play d50s from 1989 uh, anymore we cut that one song that required it for that one bridge yeah okay. <laughs> that, uh, wait we, where's the floppy drive for we, this we replaced it with a laptop you know I can speak from recent experience on that. But <laughs> we replaced it with Ableton. <laughs> you know, I think uh, I think we'll kind of wrap up on this point today, but it actually comes back to kind of our our company motto, if you will. I don't know if we should make it an official motto. It's kind of quirky and weird. But uh, at Bunt Backline, I've always uh, jokingly but seriously told guys, don't suck and don't be a jerk. And if you do those two things, I, I mean, kind of in general in life, but definitely in the production industry, if you uh, – if you, you know, try to make sure you're prepared and you do a good job and uh, your intent is right and your intention is good and your preparation is good and you don't suck, you don't go in unprepared and uh, or over your head. And, uh, and if you're not a jerk and you're not yelling at people or telling people they're wrong or just being rude or unhelpful or any of those things, then uh, typically you'll have a great day and you'll have clients for life, you know. And, uh, yeah. You should get that on your shirt. Clients for that, life don't, don't suck, suck and be, be a jerk. jerk. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that's the reason why I asked that question. I feel like the people that are listening or watching this podcast <clears throat> are those that are expiring. They either, either your peers want to just hear your experiences, <laughs> or most times there are people who are trying to like grow. And I think that's a very important aspect to it because a lot of times you can't do everything, but the relationships you build, I think. Um, from what I'm learning, the relationships you build will carry you very yeah. far. Right. Case in po- case in point, you know me actually now being able to do things more with Bunt Backline because I might be one of those people Eric was talking about because there was a period of time where, you know, I did come and was like, hey, I, I need some work. I need some work. No. <laughs> I need some work because I've I've toured for a while oh, and yeah. so I would be in and out, in and out all the time. And then more recently, I got married and all those good things last year. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Yeah. And so coming in, you know, there was a few transitions I went through. And I wasn't really sure. I know I needed work. But more so recently, coming back around, I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I these one, two things, and that's what it's going to be. I don't care how it shakes. But, you know, being a good person, being able to be dependable, knowing that yep. – 
you're not dealing with people that are always trying to stab you in the back. Uh, so uh, I really passed for the staff at Bunt Backline. Really good guys, easygoing people. Um, it goes a really long way, and I think those kinds of things kind of help you level up to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, in this industry, musician circuit is very small. Pretty sure the engineering circuit is very small. Even the live sound, um, you know, circuit here in the state in America, you know, you probably hear about a lot of people all the time, and what you do towards people, what you do for people. We'll get back and it will translate into something. That's the yeah. I just kind of want to get your point um, on that. To timing as well. So your timing to come and engineer for us and work with us wasn't mm -hmm. right for a few years there, and we kind of kept like you would kind of be available and then you wouldn't. Oh yeah. yeah and uh, but then you came back to me this fairly recently and said exactly that. Hey man, I'm I'm kind of settled down now. I'm planning on being here for a while. Love to, uh, you know, pick up some work with you guys, learn more from you, all those things. And so, again, a lot of that was timing, and, and you were never a jerk. You just had stuff going on, and you said, hey, man, I was going to work for you, you, but I just got offered a six-month tour. I'm going on a cruise ship. Yeah. You know, I can respect that. Again, that goes back to, you know, I say, hey, go make your money. Go have fun on the cruise. You know, go uh, throw up on the high seas uh, when the boat gets rocky. You know, have fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a boat guy, but that's another man. Yeah. But, you know, uh that, again, it speaks to timing and relationship and timing, and I think that's a lot of it. So, yeah, so don't suck. Don't be a jerk. We're going to wrap it up today, and we should do another one of these uh, yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. So, all right. Cheerful Sound Man out. I'm not going to drop your mic, DJ. And it's where you play the, like, the atrocious like, <laughs> podcast <laughs> outro music. Yeah. More generic, more generic. Copyright free music.